This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Welcome to a very special podcast episode. This is number 100. 100 episodes in the last two years. I'm proud of that. And it's not only number 100, it's also the release date of my first book, The Remarkable Effect. Everything comes together. And I decided that it was going to be a fun thing to me for this time not to have a guest on my podcast, but to review the last two years and this whole journey to writing the book and providing you with a flashback about some pretty interesting quotes that I got from Yeah, so many tech entrepreneurs on a mission. And this is actually a nice bridge to say something about what the book is all about. I wrote the book specifically for tech entrepreneurs. Tech entrepreneurs in the business software space who are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. And in particular, those that are at the crossroad and getting impatient with the progress they make or actually believe that they are undervalued as a business and want to prove the opposite. I decided to bring all my experience together from the last 28 years that I've been in the business software space myself, from my experience around product marketing, product management, product strategy, and creating roadmaps, product portfolio management, and not to forget my period as a chief evangelist. And while I was also speaking with more and more tech entrepreneurs on a mission through my podcast, I started to identify a pattern that defines a remarkable software company. And I translated that pattern into a framework. And that became sort of the structure of my book. The book is organized around three different levers. The value lever, the viability lever, and the volume lever. And each of those levers consists of a number of traits that define a remarkable software company. In total, there are 10. And by stacking them up together behind each other, it will not only help you to stand out in your category, but it will also create clear leverage of value for your company. And that is exponential value, not just incremental. Hence the title of the book, The Remarkable Effect. So for this particular podcast, I wanted to do two things. First of all, celebrate the number 100, the number 100 podcast that we're actually listening to today. And I wanted to do that by providing you a sneak peek into the book and at the same time, look back at some of the moments from the podcast that inspired it. So let's get started. 
I've talked about the framework and the three levers that I've identified. The first one is the value lever. It's about getting noticed in a dense market. And within that lever, I've identified three different traits that define a remarkable software company. The first trait is this. They realize they can't please everyone. And this is key. Remarkable software companies know very well who they are for, and maybe even better, who they are not for. They really make it specific. What is their ideal customer? Their smallest viable audience. And by doing this, they can deliver a far better value than any of their competitors. They understand the real problem. They can address the real problem much more specific than going broad. Therefore, they resonate better with their ideal audience. They pick up on the most critical items and they can start to deliver a solution whereby they exceed expectation on every level of the solution. And this creates more demand, more sales, bigger sales, and at the end, it creates fans that do the work for them. So when I was talking earlier last year in June 2018 with a company called Aerobotics, their COO, Tim Willis, gave a very good example of that. Aerobotics is a company from South Africa, a startup. They call themselves the defenders of the tree crop. What they do specifically, they use drones to fly over farms, create imagery, and then they use artificial intelligence to do early pest and disease detection. And this is what he had to say. And I think the latest strategic change that we have made is to focus specifically on tree crops. So although our software is useful for field crops, which is things like corn and wheat and sugarcane, we actually have taken a specific focus to really try and hone in on, on tree crops, which is things like citrus and macadamia nuts, etc. And like, just if I give you some overall stats, in the world, there's about 1.35 billion hectares of harvested, harvested hectares every year. Yeah. Of that, only 125 million of those hectares are actually tree crops. So a lot of people who come into the space go for kind of the 90%, which is field crops. And there are very few providers in the tree crop space. So we've strategically chosen to play in that space, given that there's not a lot of people in this and it's an underserved market and something that we can do exceptionally well. So a combination of like us being exceptional at it and, you know, low, I suppose, a low low competition in that particular space of the of the market really has allowed us to excel over the past year. So this was what Tim Willis had to say about their strategic decision regarding segmentation and the power of micro-segmentation. Because if you realize what he was saying with his last sentence, that they were excelling in the marketplace, what he really meant was they've been growing 50% per quarter on average and their revenues were up four times from the last year. Now that's what I call remarkable impact. And this brings me to trade number two. They offer something valuable and desirable. The focus of a remarkable software companies on valuable problems, not just interesting ones. And remarkable software companies also don't jump into new technologies for the sake of latest technology. But instead, they try to apply it in a way that transforms and not just improves how we work. And to give you an example of what this can look like, I want to take you back to December 2018. I was interviewing Mike Snyder, the CEO of a company called First, in podcast number 46. Now, First is a data science company that helps real estate agents win more business by focusing their time on the right relationship across their network. Now, let's listen to what Mike has to say about this. He's starting with identifying what is the real problem they're solving. Top agents are missing two-thirds of the deals from people they already know. So it's not like they don't have enough potential there. They just don't have enough time. And so th that was the first aha was, oh my, wow, there is a hugely inefficient system 
that the last 10 years of technology has been missing. It's been missing it because yeah. the last 10 years of technology has tried to turn agents into marketers and help them generate yeah. leads. That was the first aha. The other was we had already we had already kind of built this first model just because it was it was fun to explore on the machine learning side. So we knew we could get ahead of that person becoming a lead, and we had some some early performance there. So that was enough to jump in. But candidly, I, I jumped in the same place that a lot of people do. I thought we were we were going to send better marketing for these agents because we know you know this is a 55 year old couple that's looking for a, to downsize. We know this is a first time you know family. So we thought, hey, we can send better marketing messages. And the second aha was when, again, when my wife came home and met with a real estate agent, and I realized that the reason all this marketing wasn't converting was because of the conversation. If you're not in conversation as a service provider, it's just very, 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 very hard to differentiate and win business. And so that really shifted our whole product focus into how can we help maximize how much time our customers are getting face-to-face or on the phone with people that they should be talking to. The next question is, you know, how do we get it to scale? But I think that what's really fun to see is that when agents come in, they are so excited about how many people they're talking to who are thinking about selling that they go and don't tell anyone about it. It, it, it's there. It, they don't want anyone to know they have a secret weapon. So it's a, it's a huge challenge for us to grow our business because it's antiviral. But it's really encouraging that we've built something that's genuinely valuable. Now, how cool is that? That your solution is so valuable that your customers don't want to talk about it, that it becomes antiviral. Now, I'm pretty confident that this is working in their advantage or to their advantage because this is a clear example of what can happen if you get trade number two right. Offer something valuable and highly desirable. And that brings me to trade number three. And trade number three is called, they strive to be different, not just better. Now, remarkable software companies are the businesses that you hear about that cannot get out of your mind. They stand out from the pack, even if they are in a highly commoditized segment of the marketplace. And to give you an illustration of what can happen if you get this trade right, I want to take you back to, the, to a podcast that I did with Olin Hyde. He's the CEO of a company called LeadCrunch, and I spoke to him in podcast number 81 in September 2019. LeadCrunch is a company that's in the targeting business, as they call it, in the sales targeting business, and their value proposition is compelling. Get artificial intelligence, just pay for leads, get higher conversions, more pipeline, and happier salespeople. Now, to get an understanding what LeadCrunch means with this, let's listen to a snippet from the podcast where Olin is talking about how they created defensible differentiation. One of the things we did is we looked at their business model. We think that the strongest differentiator for a company is in business model innovation, not necessarily technology. Because in technology, you can always, there's always going to be somebody smarter and always throw more engineering resources and always come up with a better solution. But it's very difficult to beat someone's business model. Exactly. And our competitors almost all try to sell subscriptions. Yep. And the problem with subscription is, is that they require the seller to know the value of what they're selling on an annual basis. Yep. And it requires the buyer to commit that they're getting a good deal at that price. Exactly. The problem with relationships is they're not a commodity, right? So really what we're in the business of it, from a customer, our customer's perspective is building relationships. Do you want to buy relationships as a subscription? I don't think so. Now, just like people don't sell you their gasoline on a subscription or their food on a subscription, things you can't live without, you know, if it's plumbing, 
yeah, you can buy that on a subscription. You know, you can rent your house and you can rent Salesforce and that's fine. But when it comes to something like food, you know, eating in a five-star restaurant is going to cost more than eating in a fast food restaurant. And so what we do is we sell campaigns. We sell campaigns on a cost per lead basis. And this allows us to right fit the price so that our customers get remarkable return on investment and that we can ensure that we're putting enough resources behind every lead to make that relationship meaningful. And that's a big difference from the way our you know, our competitors in the market things. Of course, that made it more difficult for us to raise money. But I would argue some of the most successful companies in the world have built their businesses entirely based on delivering more value to the customer than what they're charging, building something customers can't live without. And most of them do that on transactional, not subscription basis. Being different, not just better. And I think that LeadCrunch is a good example of that, of how you can achieve that by just paying attention to what the market really needs and wants. And the fact they have this right actually comes from their performance. What he told me in the podcast, and you can listen to that again, is that they were growing 20% per month for the last couple of years. And that's exactly a testimony of what will happen if you get this particular trade right. Strive to be different, not just better. Now let's move to lever number two. The viability lever. It's about increasing customer lifetime value. And this lever incorporates four different traits. The first one is that remarkable software companies master the art of curiosity. They never lose their sense of why they got started in the first place. They define their why, their North Star. And this helps them to stay curious and avoid complacency. And that's a very important thing. Now, this brings me back to an interview that I did on the 1st of April 2019. It's not a joke. I did it with Dr. Diane Hamilton, who is the author of a book called Cracking the Curiosity Code. Let's listen to a snippet from this podcast with Diane, where she's actually addressing what is the problem in today's organizations with curiosity and how can you solve that and what is the role of leadership in creating a culture of curiosity? One of my first jobs was selling as a, I think we worked in, 19, in the mid 80s. We worked at uh, selling with IBM software. So I, I saw a lot of innovation for the time. And a lot of, even in that industry, people were worried about their jobs being replaced and who's going to do you know, this job now. The computers are taking over. And then we found that there was just, you know, then you had computer operators and new jobs. And, and so that's what we're trying to, to come up with. What's the next thing at the time? I mean, we had no idea there will be social media managers because we didn't even know there'd be social media or internet or anything back then, that's right? True. So you, you, we want to get people thinking way ahead. And it takes curiosity, I believe, to get there. I mean, Marshall Goldsmith's book, you know, what got you here won't get you there kind of thinking is, is really important for leaders to think like that. Because I th- I've worked for leaders who just hold on to dear, for dear life onto the way that it got them to where they are, because it really was great at the time. Yeah. But then supply and demand change, something's different, and it doesn't work anymore. That's and I, I think that that's the biggest problem I see is that what was successful in the past gives people a sense of comfort. But it's status quo thinking, and it's just not going to get you there in the future. And you, you have to 
to look outside because those who keep doing the things that they did in the past, Kodaks of the world, the blockbusters of the world, look what happened to them. I think the culture has to start at the top. And if leaders think that people feel comfortable asking questions, but people really don't feel comfortable asking questions, that has to be uncovered. And I think sometimes it takes outside consultants to pull in that kind of awareness because employees don't feel comfortable enough to, to make that known. So I think there's a lot of helpful mediation type of things can, can help. But I really think if leaders show a really honest desire to improve curiosity and that there's, and they, they prove it by doing it themselves by saying, here, I'm going to ask a question that I normally wouldn't ask because it'll make me look stupid. I would like to know the answer to this. And they, 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 go, you know, do by example, I think that that's a really good first start to say, you know, I realize that maybe we've made it uncomfortable for people to pose ideas or questions that we didn't realize we were doing that. And we really want to get some feedback of and ideas and no, no question is a stupid question. And you have to really mean it if you're if, if people still feel like they're being you know, criticized or some, there is not the the weight behind what they're saying, then it it won't get anywhere. There's far more to learn from Dr. Diane Hamilton. And I actually recommend you to read her book, Cracking the Curiosity Code. But the moment you get curiosity right, trade number four, we can move to trade number five. And that trade is that remarkable software companies create new value possibilities. This is about taking things further. Remarkable software companies that do this trade well are aiming to be always one step ahead, challenging the status quo. They don't simply improve inefficiencies, they actually remove them altogether and instead create complete new opportunities. The example I wanted to share with you in order to illustrate what is possible here is actually from my first podcast, podcast number one with Mauricio Vecchione, early January 2018. Mauricio is the EVP of Global Good and Research at Intellectual Ventures. Now let's go back to the moment in the podcast where Mauricio is explaining the concept of catalytic invention. We are using the word catalytic invention to indicate disruptive new technologies that are more than just a new technology, that they truly have the ability to catalyze a sea change in a problem, that they are catalytic because they can catalyze a completely different approach to solving a problem and that fundamentally find their the roots in the science and the technology. You know, it used to be that people talked about some massive proverbial moonshots as the way you, you arrive to some of these transformative inventions. For the longest time, people talked about the space program that way. They said, you know, the space program, in addition to getting us to play the moon, it's driving a huge amount of innovation that is, that is catalyzing lots of change in lots of other areas. Well, I would almost like to challenge everybody that the needs of the developing world are so stringent, they're so difficult, that if you choose to address them, you're actually catalyzing a change in in disruptive behavior that allows an improvement, not just for the developing world, but across the board. When I see healthcare delivery, for example, next generation medicine, and I see the needs in the developing world where it's not just about price or affordability, but it's really about accessibility. It's really about the fact that you don't have enough doctors to give you access to specialists. And so you need 
somehow a technology that can take a mediocre clinician and turn it into the best clinicians in the world. Those are disruptive things that could frankly work everywhere, not just in the developing world. I really liked what he had to say. He was talking about this framework of catalytic invention. In the podcast, he explains it in a lot more depth, but in short, it's about the three A's, accessibility, affordability, and applicability. And if you put those things, those three A's together, and you start thinking about solutions around that, that's where real magic happens. That's where new value possibilities are created. And that brings me to trade number six, which is about that remarkable software companies are stars with regards to creating fans, not just customers. Remarkable software companies understand the art of meeting their customer at their point of the journey and work with them to solve a significant challenge and achieve their lofty ambitions. And this brought back memories of a podcast that I did with Omar Tabakol, who is the CEO of a company called Voicea. It was podcast number 85 in October 2019. And Voicea is a company that has a solution that actually is your virtual assistant and sits into your meetings. What they say is it has the power to democratize the skills of great leaders and make every one of us more productive. And the snippet that I'm going to share with you is where he's talking about what his product does exactly and how that is create an effect with their customers whereby it becomes viral. Given how much time we spend in meetings, it's one of the largest time sinks of all knowledge workers. I thought that there was an opportunity really to help democratize the skills of these great executives because they had an entourage of assistants and you can't really afford to have an entourage of assistants unless you're a CEO. So what we wanted to do is create the digital assistants that really helped in just the, the two or three skills that were fundamental to make you more productive. Interesting. So yeah, what do you believe, I mean, from all the research that you've done around meetings, what do you believe are, the, let's say, the top three things that that really need help and, and, and attention to get them to the next level? Because that's what you're saying. Meetings can be much more productive. It's a great question. So first of all, we, we kind of call this the PSA for meetings. So people, structure, and activation. So people dynamics is the first area we need help. And on the people dynamics front, there's two core areas. Number one, focus. Having good attention is the skill of a superhero, <laughs> and, and we want to be able to bring that to everybody because it's not like IQ where kind of people think of it as more fi fixed. Attention is something that can be fostered. And so the first thing is, is don't force you to have your face in a screen where you're going to get distracted and notifications. Look up at the people and have the conversations. Have the right people dynamics. True. The second area of people dynamics, which is super interesting, is a lot of people go to meetings because they have a fear of missing out but they don't really intend on participating. They just kind of show up with their laptop open. And what we try to do is transform that from the fear of missing out to the joy of missing out to say, if you're not going to participate, you don't have to go. Eva will go for you. You'll get a summary. Go and participate or don't go and get the summary. And so you transform those meetings to a bunch of meetings where people are fully engaged. In reality, what we've seen is a good virality factor because if you are able to invite Eva to a meeting and you share notes with a couple of people, they yeah. get intrigued. They're like, yeah, you know, I, I want those notes also. And, and seeing it in action is one of the best ways that we grow. Isn't that what everybody wants? That you get a product that people love so much that they start asking for it? I think that's magical and hence remarkable. But in order to create fans, not just customers, you need to do, of course, you need to, to go the extra mile. And that brings me to trade number seven, which is called... They focus on the essence. 
Remarkable software companies make their bets. They're challenging everything that doesn't move the needle. That's what they're good at. And with that, they become extremely resourceful. With that in mind, I want to take you back to January 14, 2019, podcast number 49, an interview of Jonah Lopin, the CEO of Crayon. And the example that I share is where Jonah is talking about the problem that they saw in the marketplace and that in order to move the needle and create something remarkable, they had to take a different approach. And that gave them laser focus. The belief behind the business, what we believe strongly, is that businesses should be as good at understanding and acting on everything happening outside the four walls of the business as they are at understanding and acting on all of their internal data. You know, in 2018, most businesses are pretty darn good at, you know, leveraging data from their CRM system and their business intelligence tools and their web analytics data to drive, you know, optimizations and good decisions. But when it comes to these, like, fundamental questions about your market and your competitive set and your brand and your customers and what's happening outside the four walls of the business... Many companies just have never had a good way to get insights there because the only way to get insights in those areas historically has really been through human-driven efforts. And the challenge there is it's just always been really expensive. And the data you get almost always lags the market and so often doesn't drive a lot of impact. What we did from the beginning is we solved that complete problem for the customer. And I think... You know, I think a fail state for us would have been to say, hey, we just, or we just want to go off and do machine learning and AI, and we're just going to do some fancy stuff there. Or to just say, hey, we're, we're a data aggregator, and we're just going to pull all this data together. Or to just say, here's you know, a way to build you know, fancy reports, yeah. but we're not going to help you figure out what goes on those reports. <laughs> Um, so we just want to solve that complete problem for the customer, which is like, how do you understand what's happening in your market? Once you understand that, how do you drive, use that to drive an impact inside your company? Focusing on the essence, like Crayon did, didn't only help them become extremely resourceful as a company. It also helped them to create this lifetime value and increase the lifetime value for their customers. What Jonah told me is that by focusing on the complete problem, allow them to help their customers increase their win rates by over 50%. Now, that's what I call remarkable impact. And this brings me to lever number three, the volume lever, which is all about winning more and winning bigger. And the first trait I want to discuss within this lever is trait number eight, and it's called they create momentum. Remarkable software companies create customers wanting more. They're not just lucky once, but design their success to build momentum and exceed expectations in every step of their customer's journey. And this reminded me about a podcast that I did with Jeff Jonas, the CEO of Sensing. And I did that podcast on the 20th of May, 2019. It was podcast number 67. The quote that I selected is one where Jeff is talking about how they create momentum by democratizing a solution category that has always been categorized by long and costly implementation projects. And instead now... They've turned it into something that customers can just run with out of the box. Most of my life, I've, been, I've enjoyed inventing things. And then on that journey, and it's been kind of a wide range of things that I've worked on, I've become particularly focused and call it obsessed with this thing called entity resolution, which is technology that figures out when two people are the same. 
it's a right. hard problem for folks. And when you can solve that well, you can solve all kinds of problems and create all kinds of competitive advantage. Today, if you were to look at and canvas the entity resolution technologies that are on the market, there's about roughly 50 companies. And one of those products is the is called Identity Insight, the, the one that I sold to IBM. But if you look at these, they're primarily, they require experts to make them operate. They're pretty darn expensive. The good stuff is at least a million. So the big idea is to democratize that. If you can take 10x out of the complexity of getting it going, then why not take 10x out of the price? So when you, when you change simplicity that much and you change cost that much, it opens the door to being able to democratize something. What do you believe are the top three things to deliver a remarkable product or to, well, that, well, what, what makes this product a remarkable product? Well, number one is it has to be easy to consume. And that means, I mean, I think about that like dissolving under your tongue. So in other words, people download it and they don't need to call, but they love it. That's, I think, really the single most important thing. We came fully out of stealth in June of, of last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of when we really, you know, opened up the pipes and let the world just download it. We, you can download the software without even telling us an email address. Like you really? can just try it on your own data. I mean, really, 80% of the people that try it tell us it works out of the box without a single tweak. Dissolving under your tongue. I mean, I simply love that. Creating a product that is such a departure from what was known in that market for so long, now being able to download it and simply run it out of the box, that's fantastic. So let me share with you what that has meant to a company like Sensing in terms of creating momentum and value. So when I asked Jeff recently how 2019 had gone for them, his answer was pretty eye-opening. 476% growth in ARR, and that was partly thanks to a 225% plus in net revenue retention. Their NPS and net promoter score was 86, and Jeff told me that 2020 will likely follow suit in exactly the same way. This is what I mean with creating the remarkable effect. If you focus on what matters to your customers, if you enable them to make a difference, if you follow through on creating a change in the world that's meaningful, then the rest will follow. And you can see the numbers here. Likely the effect of it is going to be bigger than you expected. Now that brings me to trade number nine. And it's called, they sell the idea, not the product. Remarkable software companies understand the art of inviting their customers into their story. They understand that their business is about solving their customers' challenges in achieving new ambitions. And the quote that I'm about to share with you regarding illustrating what I mean with this particular trait is from an interview that I did with Sachin Dev Dugal. He's the founder and the chief wizard of engineering.ai. It's podcast number 70. It's from June 10, 2019. I'm starting the quote at the point where Sachin is explaining what they are doing to effectively move their ideal customer's perception from the point that software development is hard and costly to now you can start building software in a way that is as easy as ordering a pizza. One of the things that I'm driven by every day is the ability for technology to transform people's lives. You know, we're in a world today where a lot of folks feel somewhat disenfranchised by the technology promise and was something that was meant to help them grow, help them make more money, help them have more time at home. 
and instead it's done in many cases the opposite. We took a thesis view that over the next decade, if not shorter or if not a little bit longer, most companies would become software companies whether they like it or not, or whether they realize it or not. And broadly speaking, the world falls in the four categories. Tech companies, software first, where software is a competitive advantage, software powered, where software is an operational advantage, or more specifically, a detractor if it's not there, and then digitally to be relevant. You know, the, the hundreds of millions of new businesses being started, the small businesses that exist, that are trying to figure out how to stay relevant in ever so pure digital economy. But building software is hard. It's the hardest thing you're going to do in your life, potentially even more than your university degree. And we think that there's a really strong opportunity to transform how software is built. So we're moving from a, you know, a world where software means working with a cottage industry, you know, where everything is slow, it requires on traditional know-how, it's inefficient, it's super risky. And so there's often a trade-off that we see in our customers between the fear of being irrelevant, then they come up with an idea, and then it's basically the fear of failure. And it's like the sine wave that they keep oscillating between those two. And until they cross the line of fear, so if you imagine an XY curve, a line of fear and a sine wave underneath it, until they cross the line of fear, they're not really building or, or moving ahead. And really that's the problem we're solving. We're, we're allowing anybody with an idea to now be able to build it, whether they're at the edge at a big company, so digital transformation, innovation at the edge, or whether they're a small business owner or they're an entrepreneur with an idea. Effectively, Engineer.ai is democratizing the process of software development so that it becomes available and accessible to everybody with a good idea. And thereby they're removing the old excuses and ultimately driving more positive change in the world. So they sell the idea, not the product. And that brings me to trade number 10. The trade that's named they surprise and hit the right nerve. Remarkable software companies understand really, really well that buyers purchase based on emotions first and logic second. They don't buy a thousand transactions per second. But what they do buy is confidence. They don't buy a streamlined sales process, but they do buy an advantage. So to succeed, empathy is really an important thing. Understanding their worldview, what they believe, what they care for, what their real problem is they need to solve, or their aspiration that they dream to achieve. Once you know that, you'll be able to resonate with your customers on their terms and at exactly the right moment on their journey. And that brings me to a, an interview that I did with Jonathan Sneer, who is the CEO of ClickLab. It was podcast number 59 in March 25, 2019. ClickLab is a brain for B2B websites. More leads, higher quality, less effort. That's their promise. It's all about hitting the right nerve and positively surprise. I know that because I've seen it at work on my own website. So listen to his quote. We have a lot of traffic coming to the website that's not converting today. And many tools and many um, you know, tactics are being used to try and fix that. But eventually we see that only uh, friction converts. The benchmarks that are stated today by um, Forster and uh, Marketing Sherpa and other researchers that we looked at are talking about for. 2 to 4% converting to leads and only half percent converting to opportunities. The reason for that, at least from what we found, is that on B2B, you give the same experience to everyone. The fact that it's not one size fits all. And a lot of people are being missed out because they're not used to doing this kind of experience in today's world where 
everything is becoming much more simple in our consumer hat. The second reason is that the marketing tactics that we've been using for so long are, are really not uh, adjusted to how we as consumers want to uh, consume content and to get informed. So we're being pushed too much to fill out forms and to get our data way before we're ready to, you know, to move to the next step of, let's call it the date that we want to give us, give our details to the vendor and get emails from them or even a phone call. So the idea is to try and understand for each visitor when and what's the next best thing and when he's really ready to speak and move to the next level of the engagement, not too soon, not too late. With this final quote from Jonathan, we went through a sneak preview of all the 10 traits that define a remarkable software company. These examples and those of over 60 other companies are illustrative of what can happen when you make small but important changes to the way you approach product strategy, marketing, and sales. Making those changes will help you unlock the remarkable effect inside your software business. So I'm very proud to announce that the remarkable effect, my first book, is now available on Amazon and other places where you can buy books. The remarkable effect will give you the framework to create that software business you've always dreamt about. It will give you dozens and dozens of ideas to help you close the gap on all the 10 traits that I've been talking about in this podcast. It will help you deliver impact to your customers that they will talk about. And it will help you put your company on the momentum that makes you proud. And what's more, you'll receive remarkable value because you provide remarkable value. It will simply make everything easier. And that might all sound crazy until it's not. But if that's what you think, I want you to follow the advice from Amy Williams. Amy Williams, the co-founder and CEO of Goodloop that I spoke on the podcast 73 in July 2019. Just listen to what she's saying here. What is one of your secrets in being remarkable? <laughs> Just starting. I think so many people have ideas and so few people start. Yeah, I, like actually just starting it, you're already 10 times further ahead than most people who talk about ideas in the pub and then they never leave the pub. The idea is the person eventually hopefully does leave the pub and go home. But the, the, the yeah, I, like I meet so many entrepreneurs now through, you know, my through what I do, through networking, through other investors, through events. And the key thing that like threads us all together, I think, is this is this ability to just start, even though it's not perfect. And even though, you know, it's still probably 10 times, it's still probably so far away from, from, the, from the vision you have. Don't wait till it's perfect. Don't wait till the right moment. Don't wait sure. for the stars to align. Like just, just start. So I can only ask you one question. What is stopping you? So to take this further, I have a number of recommendations to make. First of all, go to Amazon, buy the book. Secondly, check how your company scores on the five-star remarkable index. To find out how that works, go to valueinspiration.com slash remarkable index. And thirdly, if you want to make tangible progress in closing the gaps towards each of those 10 traits, simply join the tribe. To find out more about that, simply go to my website, valueinspiration.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening. This was an unusual podcast for me today, but one absolutely worth celebrating. The release of my book and to be able to celebrate that with edition 100 of my podcast means so much to me, more than I can describe. I would say it's a pivotal moment in my career and a way I can step up again in order to add more meaningful value to you. And that's what I'm doing this for. I so much look forward to working with many of you, either through my book directly or through the tribe or in a direct way, no matter what, 
helping you to deliver the change that you seek to make in your market in the most impactful way. So thanks for listening and please reach out if you have any comments or questions. See you next week. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.